0: And God emphasized, and he punctuated this again and again, the, the, I am the Lord, the one and true God. There is beside me, there is none else. And it says, ye shall not go after other gods. Not because they are real, not because they have in themselves some power, but because they're a lie. Other gods are a lie. They are pretense fake and phony. Now, let's go back to Isaiah 45, and let's look at these none else statements that are right here in this passage. Isaiah 45 and verse 5. There's a number of none else statements here. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, pastor of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. It's always a privilege to bring the message of God's Word to you. And our main message from the pulpit of our church today is on the Exodus commandment, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. We begin with our reading in Ephesians. Our text today is Ephesians 2, verse 10. Every Bible reader knows that our God is a jealous God. He will not give his glory to another. Just read the first three commandments and you will discover that God guards his own name, his honor, and will allow none to boast over his works. He says, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And it is, of course, the same jealous God who has planned the way of our salvation, for we sinners need to be saved. He has planned salvation in such a way that none will boast in their own power or goodness for their own conversion to Christ. God ensures that it is all of grace, and that men know that. He also blows the trumpet against any who would dare boast in his own works. Let's watch for that in these verses, Ephesians chapter 2, 4 to 10. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved." and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Paul's own illustration is of God the potter, man the clay, and this is perfectly befitting here. Salvation is all of grace, God's riches at Christ's expense— Christ did the work totally. He paid it all, and all to him we owe. There is not one sliver of work to our credit. The moment you introduce even the idea that man contributed even a thread to the work of redemption, you blow the whole concept of grace, of God's working all things, and you rob God of his glory. Verse 10 reinforces this matter, and gives the proper perspective to our role in God's salvation power at work in us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which hath, God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are God's workmanship. We are like the block of marble. God is the sculptor, just as the stone could never envision the new form to take shape, nor work to give it shape, nor finish the project. Neither could we. Christians are the product of God's saving power at work, and we owe it all to him. The good works we now do is the result of God creating a new man out of us. So everything we do, like the beauty of the sculpted statue's constant stats, is the work of the Lord, the workman in our salvation. Once you start with the truth that God is a jealous God, he will not have others to receive the worship due to him. He calls all his creation to bow to him and to give him the praise for his handiwork in creation and in the new creation of redeeming, saving power. Every sinner saved must tell the story of God's love, God's grace, and God's power at work in him. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If your religion or your understanding of salvation in any way causes you to boast in your own goodness, your own choices, your own wisdom, it is an offense to God. The truth is that salvation is of the Lord all of the Lord, totally of the Lord, and always of the Lord. Let that truth drive you to your knees today, and let it open your mouth in praise to the Lord of glory. The Almudi said, The law tells me how crooked I am. Grace comes along and straightens me out. So we are not saved by the works of the law, nor by our own works. We are saved by grace and grace alone. Now for our message in song. Stay tuned with us as we bring to you this word in song today. Oh There's another reason why God takes idolatry so seriously, and it is that behind every idol is a devil. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. And here now is the darkness, and here is the trickery, and the works of the devil in idolatry. And I would not that ye should have fellowship with devils. And here now is the the danger of idolatry. And here is the reason why it is to be warned against and to be fleed from, because it leads to devil fellowship. cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You can't be in both camps. And in this age of ecumenism or syncretism or multi-faith everything, when people says, well, we're just all one people, we're on different paths, but we're on the same journey to different gods. No, we cannot have fellowship with idols, cannot have fellowship that leads to fellowship with devils. And so, this command, this first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me, teaches us to hate idolatry. We hate it. We have no time for it. We have no desire to engage in it. We have no desire to leave people in that state. We want to be a witness to them. We want to see them led out of that danger, that devil fellowship, into our right relationship with the true God. And so this first commandment lays all of this upon us as Christians. Now, this uh, true God, our God, requires a hatred of all forms of idolatry, because it says, thou shalt have no other gods, not just a few, but none. Thou shalt have no other gods before me." And so, therefore, to worship the moon, uh, the stars, the sun, all of these are dangerous. And so, we have a ministry to the New Age movement, for example, or the cults that fall into these things, or astrology, and we would say, well, the moon is real. The sun is real. In fact, it was created by God. Can it be any harm? offering homage to the things that God has created. Well, the danger is that it leads to devil fellowship, and God warns us totally against that. Now what makes ungodliness and idolatry so evil in in God's eyes is that it's done right before him. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's done in his sight, because God is not dead. He's the living God. He's seated on his throne. He is all-seeing, all-knowing. He's in all places at all times. And when men turn to idols and make them to other gods, what a grief right before him. It's like our own children. We have given them certain things not to do. And what do they do? They write before our eyes, insist in doing the very thing we commanded not to do. And there's no loyalty, no loyalty. And one thing that the gospel does for the Christian, one thing that the gospel does in the heart of God's people is it puts this loyalty, because the law of God is written in our hearts. And the first law is, thou shalt have no other gods. And the mark of a born-again Christian is instant, immediate loyalty to God. He's first. He's the only God whom I worship, serve, pray to, depend upon, seek for protection. It's all required in this first commandment. Now, where does this affect us? We're living in a multicultural age, multi-faith everything. Um, Are we the oddballs in society? Well, Israel was, of course, Israel was a small little nation on the move, chosen out of all the other heathen nations who had turned to idols and false gods. And God chose a people who would worship Him only. And that's why this commandment's given. This exercise of calling you out, making you a separate people, calling you Israel, Prince of God, leading you into the promised land to be my people, all of this exercise is is pointless if. Excuse me, till I recover this one. All of that exercise is pointless if you don't keep this command. So the day that you got saved and became a Christian, the day that you were washed in the blood of Jesus, required of you a personal, unflinching loyalty to the Lord. Let me ask you, do you have that? Is your seat empty in God's house? Are you a man or woman of prayer? Or are there idols that have come in in your life? An idol could be anything that replaces the love of God, the priority of God in your life. Young people, teenagers, let me speak to you a moment. You you may say, "This, this is no fun. I would rather be somewhere else today. I would rather be in some church or some facility or some ministry where it's all light and fluffy. But do you not see here that unless you have a church, unless you have a form of worship that brings you directly into the presence of the only living and holy God, that it's not church? I don't know what it is. But it's not church. And you may say, I want something that makes me feel at ease. Let me tell you, Israel was not at ease whenever God gave these Ten Commandments. They saw the smoke. They saw the fire. They heard the voice of God in that mountain as a thunder. And this is the real God that we have to do. Not the God of men's imagination that loves everybody, including devil worshipers. No, this calls us to a personal and a deliberate loyalty to love the Lord our God. Now I want to move to point three here today because this is very important, that honoring the first commandment also requires liberty. Liberty to worship God. First of all, let me say the devil cannot worship God. Now, the devil knows about God, and the devil recognizes God and in some ways fears God, but will never worship him. Why? Because the devil is predisposed to rebel against God. Sinful men will not worship God. Why? Because their hearts are turned away from God but Christians are free to serve God. This is what the miracle of salvation is. It has set us free to worship God. And just as God said to these people here when they were brought out of bondage and out of Egypt and into uh, liberty over the Red Sea, and God met with them and said, I am the Lord that delivered you, redeemed you out of the house of bondage, thou shalt have no other gods before me. They were liberated people, they were set free." Now, how the children of Israel were given the Ten Commandments after their liberation, after their bondage in Egypt, is a pointer to us that, as Christians, we have this great liberty. First of all, a liberty of heart, because you have a new desire. That's the miracle of salvation. You desire to worship God. You want to meet with God. You want to commune with him. You want to hear his voice. You want the God of heaven to be with you in all ways. Now, Dr. Kearns, in his book on the law of God, it's called The Chariots of God, he lists nine ways By which uh, we can worship God in our newfound liberty. Now, I mention these that I take this list because I discovered when I read Thomas Watson that he got eight of them right out of Thomas Watson's book. Preachers do that. There's nothing original in theology. We get our doctrine from the Bible and from the great preachers of the Bible. Now, these nine things, I'm just going to list them here. I'm not going to preach them, but I want to list them. And these you can do as a Christian because you've been set free from sin and all its bondage. Number one, we must know him. Surely, that's the the freedom we have to know God why we have a Bible, why we come to Christ as our Savior. We must adore him. We know that in heaven, the angels and the elders fall down at Jesus' feet. We must trust him. We cannot doubt and live in unbelief, but rather we put our faith and our confidence in the only living true God. We must confess him as our God. In other words, take your stand, stand up, stand up for Jesus. We tell the world we're a Christian, we're living for God. We must love him. And you have the freedom to do that. You have a new heart, a new mind. And the Spirit of God, we, we've been studying this, Revel, uh, Romans 5.5, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Spirit is to give us this fullness of amazing love of God. We must fear him. That's number six. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Number seven, we must pray to him. That is, live in communion with God. My house shall be a house of prayer, and your heart will be a heart that longs to Commune with God. Number eight, we must praise Him. Give thanks unto the Lord. And as we come together as a congregation, we spend time singing the praises of God. And you'll want to do that in your home. You'll want to do that when you're out walking or even driving your car. You'll want to praise Him. This is what it is to. Keep this first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. The last one, number nine, is we must obey him. And it is better to obey than to sacrifice. And so we cannot be one of these people who says, well, I love, but there's no law involved, no obedience involved. And this comes full circle to the unity of the church, that we walk with God and demonstrate our love by obeying him. Now, all of this is possible for us because our Lord Jesus kept the law of God for us. He was the great law keeper. He was in love with his Father before he came into this world. In this world, he kept up communion with the Father. He worshiped him. He exalted him. He did his will on earth. And Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me. And so, as we put our faith in the Lord Jesus, we go from Sinai to Calvary. And I insist we must put those two together. You cannot understand Calvary without Sinai. And if you stop at Sinai, you miss everything that was accomplished at Calvary. Why? Because the law leads us to Christ. It's our schoolmaster to point our need of redemption. And the blood that was poured out on that cross, the redemption that was purchased, is to set us free, that we may serve God all our days on earth. And we are brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. That's our way to worship God. We have no other God before us. And we come to him on the basis of the shed blood of the cross. Are you doing that? Is that your Christianity? Is that your daily walk and worship? Then we are honoring this first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Take this to heart. There's someone here, and you're not saved. You've never come to the God of heaven. You're running away from God. You're denying him, you're rejecting him. You're choosing the way of the world or some other love that you're putting first. And you're saying, I would be a Christian if, but that's the idol. That's the idol that keeps you from Christ, keeps you from salvation. I'm going to ask you to give up that idol. Maybe it's some friendship, maybe it's some lust. Some love of sin, something that you say, what's well, going to get my way as being a accru- Let me ask you are you going to give up that sin and have the God of heaven as your God? Or are you going to continue in that sin and have God's wrath upon you? That's the choice. That's the challenge of this first command. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You must make that commitment to put God first, accept his Son, go to Calvary, plead the cleansing of the blood, that you might truly live and delight yourself in the Lord. Will you do that today? If I can help you, I surely will. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me please at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca.
1: This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. And on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.